There are some sermon notes for this morning's message. If you didn't get any sermon notes when you came in, uh, if you'd like to put your hands up, our hosts are ready now to be able to give them out. So if you put your hand up nice and tall, we can make sure that we can get some into your hands. That will be fantastic. Anyone else? No? Cool. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your presence here by your Spirit right now. And I thank you that where you are, there is liberty. I thank you that where you are, there is freedom. And I pray against every distraction. I pray against everything that would try to to, to rob us of the power of your word as it comes alive within us. I pray that it resonates within our our spirit. It resonates within our lives. And and as, as I'm speaking this morning, your word brings transformation into people's worlds. I pray that mindsets are brought down to be obedient to what you're saying to us, Holy Spirit. I pray for bodies to be healed. I pray for situations to change in workplaces, in homes, in families. I pray for restoration. I pray, Lord, a turning around from poverty to to prosperity. I pray, Lord God, that you'd bless and, and pour out your spirit upon people as they sit under the power of your word this morning. Father, I thank you that you change us to be more like Jesus today and that we'd reflect him in ever greater measure in what we do throughout our coming week. Father, I pray your encouragement in Jesus' wonderful name this morning. And everyone said, Amen Amen this morning. I'm going to be continuing on with a a series that we're uh, on and and exploring uh, as a result of Easter. Uh, It's all Easter's fault that you've got this uh, series uh, at the moment. That's what happens when you sit down, you question a a passage of Scripture uh, about, you know, so God, what are you saying to me from this passage? What are you saying to me from this particular uh, Scripture that I'm reading this morning? And uh, that's uh, the result of this series. The series is called Resurrection Life, and this is part four. And uh, I just want to, I guess... The, the, the whole series has, has come out of this passage of Scripture called from Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 to 5. It says, But God is so rich in mercy and He loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, He gave us life when He raised Christ from the dead. And I began to ask myself, what sort of life did God give to us as a result of raising Christ to life? And I believe that it, the words resurrection life came to me at that time. But like uh, in, in so many other arenas of life, what does a resurrection life look like? What does it sound like? What does it look like? What does it taste like? How do we live a resurrection life? You know, as a, uh, a husband and a father, uh, I, I never imagined that being a husband or a father uh, has been the journey that I've been on. I didn't know what it looked like. I, I, you know, there's, there's been incredible highs and you know, some pretty deep depths as well. There's been uh, phenomenal things that have happened. I couldn't have imagined some of the things that have happened to me as a husband and as a father. Same with being a policeman. I, I went into being a policeman many years ago, uh, around about the 19th century. And uh, it feels like that long ago now. But uh, I never imagined the sort of life that I could have lived as a, as a police officer, serving uh, our communities, serving uh, the government in the way that, that I did. There was incredible things that happened. There was the good, the bad. There was the, the up, the down. There was uh, the in and the out. There's mountains and valleys and the whole thing. You know, there's bad things that happened, uh, like you know, when you, you forget to duck and there's a fist on its way and you stop it with your face. That's, that's always what I classify as a bad thing, okay? 
If you think it's a good thing, I'm going to need to pray for you really badly. Um, there's good things as well, you know, like stopping people from suicide and, and intervening in domestic violence and helping people. One of the, the most profound moments of my career was actually carrying an 18-month-year-old girl out from her home as her father had just murdered her mum. And I remember the, the, the cameras from all the media outlets at the end of the driveway as I'm walking this child uh, in my arms out of the driveway to take the child next door to be cared for by parents and to other relatives, uh, by the neighbours until the other relatives could arrive. It was one of the most profound moments of my time. I knew that this family was, was wrecked as a result of a man's actions. And uh, it was, we actually arrived there in time to stop him from killing his wife's sister. Uh, so uh, it was just an amazing intervention at that moment. So there's been incredible highs. I couldn't have imagined doing those sorts of things when you join the police department. And I believe that there is nothing that we can ever imagine that the resurrection life is actually like. No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has imagined what the life is that Christ has got for us because of Christ Jesus. It says in 1 Corinthians 2.9, you know, that, that very thing. He's not, we can't imagine what God has prepared for those who love him. And this morning I want to talk about life. In the, the, the way that we're going to talk about this is L-I-F-E. We've been talking about the resurrection life and so far I've talked about living in faith every day. I've talked about living in freedom every day. Last week I started the, this uh, other area of living in fruitfulness every day. And this morning we're going to continue that area of looking in uh, on fruitfulness uh, every day. And it comes out of the, the passage out of John chapter 15. It's a, probably a well-known passage of scripture where uh, Jesus is talking about the vine and, and so on. And I'm just going to read it for you so you've got some context of where we're going with this particular passage and this, uh, this message this morning. This is John chapter 15 verses 1 through to 16, I think it is. I am the true vine. And my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch of mine that doesn't produce fruit, and he prunes the branches that do bear fruit, so they will produce even more. You have already been pruned and purified by the message I have given you. Remain in me, and I will remain in you. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it is severed from the vine, and you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. Yes, I am the vine. You are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. Anyone who does not remain in me is thrown away like a useless branch and withers. Such branches are gathered into a pile to be burned. But if you remain in me and my words remain in you, you may ask for anything you want and it will be granted. When you produce much fruit, you are my true disciples. This brings great glory to my Father. I have loved you even as the Father has loved me. Remain in my love. When you obey my commandments, you remain in my love, just as I obey my Father's commandments and remain in his love. I have told you these things so that you will be filled with joy. Yes, your joy will overflow. This is my commandment. Love each other in the same way that I have loved you. There is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you slaves because a master doesn't confide in his slaves. Now... You are my friends since I have told you everything the Father told me. You didn't choose me. I chose you. I appointed you to go and produce lasting fruit so that the Father will give you whatever you ask for using my name. And this is my command. Love each other. I believe that Jesus actually points us towards a process 
that's outworked in life, in living in fruitfulness every day. The first stage is something that uh, happens when we become born again, when we give our lives to Christ, we yield and surrender our lives, our future, our hopes, our dreams to his hands, and we are engrafted into the vine that is Jesus. And that's what I've called a sanctified fruit. It's something that comes naturally as a part of being attached to the vine that is Jesus. You've got no control over this. This is something that now starts to flow through you. You know, you are a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. This is where his holiness, his, his, uh, his, his righteousness, his justification, everything is a part of us now just as a natural consequence of being a part of the vine. That is sanctified fruit. And I, I, I talked a lot about that last week. So what I would encourage you to do is actually to listen to that message, download it from iTunes. Um, there's uh, our website. You can listen to it on our website and have a listen to it. I, I believe it will bless your heart as you listen to that. Today I want to talk about the next stage in the process of living in fruitfulness every day. And that's something that I've called seasoned fruit. So the first part uh, of the process is sanctified fruit. Then we come into seasoned fruit. And the next time that I speak, uh, I'll be talking about significant fruit. And I believe that that's the, the way that we are heading for in this process of, of doing what we're doing. Remember, this is what Jesus said in, in John 15, verses 5 to 8. In verse 7, he says, But if you remain in me and my words remain in you, you may ask for anything you want and, I, and it will be granted. You will produce much fruit. Uh, when you produce much fruit, you are my true disciples. There is a process that needs to be outworked in our lives that is going to produce something called seasoned fruit. Sanctified, uh, sanctified fruit leads to, to, to seasoned fruit. To, to be sanctified actually means to be set apart for a holy purpose, to consecrate something for a holy purpose. It's sanctified from, we are sanctified to. We are sanctified from the world because we're set apart for the world when we were living in sin, etc. like that. But now because of our union with Christ, we are sanctified and set apart for a holy purpose unto God himself. That is being sanctified. There's three parts, I think, to sanctification. There's the first part, which is positional sanctification. Then there's progressive sanctification. And then there's perpetual or ultimate sanctification. Just bear with me. I'm just setting a, a platform so that you can follow what I'm going to be talking about this morning. I will start to uh, uh, really help you to understand this. I believe this is life. I believe this is uh, going to help you in, in doing what you're going to do as a, as a Christian for Christ today. So positional sanctification is the fact that God declares a person to be absolutely holy the moment that they believe in Christ. Absolutely holy. When God looks at us, he sees the righteousness and the holiness of Christ. Perpetual or ultimate sanctification occurs when we die in this physical life. When a Christian is absolutely and perpetually free from the very presence of sin and is perfected in God's sight. That's perpetual sanctification. So progressive sanctification is the process of taking what we are positionally and what we will be perpetually and progressively making it a reality in our lives. Do you understand that? Okay. I'm, I'm speaking to the right people today. So the, the process of progressive sanctification is actually what Paul describes... In Galatians chapter 5, verses 19 to 23, where we produce less and less acts of the sinful nature, such as in, in verses 19 to 21 of Galatians 5, he says, Paul says this, 
What are the cravings of the self-life I'm referring to? They are obvious. Sexual immorality, lustful thoughts, pornography, chasing after things instead of God, manipulating others, hatred of those who get in your way, senseless arguments, resentment when others are favoured, temper tantrums, angry quarrels, only thinking of yourself, being in love with your own opinions, being envious of the blessings of others, murder, uncontrolled addictions, wild parties and all other similar behavior. Haven't I already warned you that those who use their freedom for these things will not inherit the kingdom realm of God? That's the old life. That's how things were. Okay. And the process of progressive sanctification is to get rid of those things so that we can have the fruit of the Holy Spirit within our life. And verses 22 to 23 of that same passage says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. That's where we're heading. These are the fruits that are God is wanting us to develop in our lives. There's some things that he's done, but there are some things that he's wanting us to work on as well. I want to tell you now that progressive sanctification is a process that is empowered by the Holy Spirit. It says in Ephesians 5.18, don't be drunk with wine, which is going to ruin your life, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. In other words, allow him to shape and to change your life and to lead you into what you're doing on a day-by-day basis. Invite the person of the Holy Spirit to speak to you. Say, there is so much in me this morning. Breathe, it. Progressive sanctification is enabled through prayer and study of God's word. That's, you know, like... Um, okay, okay. <clears throat> it's, it's where we read the word and the word reads us. Does that make sense? Because you know, I don't know about you, but you know, sometimes I'm reading a passage of scripture and, and uh, I just feel like the Holy Spirit knock on my, my door. That was hollow. Did you? That was scary. That was scary right there. But he just knocks on your door and he says, uh, you just read something, how do you feel about that? I'm thinking, yeah, it's really nice. But you know that the Spirit of God's saying something to you, saying, you know, maybe you just need to make an adjustment here. Or he's saying something to you, how you reached out in that phone call uh, yesterday. Good job. Good job. Good job. You know how you took that meal to that family that's struggling? Way to go. Great job. You know how you sat down your, your child and you just had a devotion time with them and you introduced them to what the Word of God looks like and how they can start to develop their own relationship with me? Way to go, man. Way to go. See, God's Word is not there just to pick on all the things that we're doing wrong. He wants to affirm us, to encourage us in the things that we're doing great. It's where the process of renewing our minds comes into play. 2 Timothy 3, 16 to 17 says, All Scripture, everyone say, All Scripture. All Scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the person of God, politically correct then, 
So that the person of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. We need to put off our old lives that we once used to live and put on the new life of Christ. Ephesians 4 verses 21 to 24 says, Since you've heard about Jesus and have learned the truth that comes from him, everyone say, throw off. Throw off. He says, throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. He says in verse 23, instead, let the spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. He says, put on. Everyone say, put on. Put on on your new nature, created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. It's like you're putting on an old suit. Now, sometimes we think that we've got a, you know, uh, we've got this suit on, and I've been to some men's conferences, and I've seen them demonstrated really well. But I wasn't prepared to to come here today and put on and ruin some old suit jackets. But they start to put on stuff. We think that we we just put stuff on to cover up what we're already, you know, like our old sinful nature. We put on a new jacket over the top of our old jacket, you know, and that's not how it is. We've got to put the old jacket off and then put the new jacket on because it's been tailor made. This, I, mate, I'm looking phenomenal. God's looking even better. You're looking good too, mate. Nice, mate. We need to put on the new nature. What does this tell us? It tells us that there's a process that God wants to work in our lives. There's something that it's our responsibility of doing. We can rest in the sanctified fruit, and if that's all you want to do, well, I mean, that's all you want to do. But if you want to go on a journey and experience a resurrection life, then I think that God wants us to do some things with our lives that are going to bring about an adjustment to according to to live how his spirit wants us to live. And that is up to us. See, producing much fruit in our lives, living seasoned lives, becoming mature Christ followers is more than just knowing about God's word. It's living God's word. See, even Jesus himself said that the, the, the demons of hell, they know that the scriptures. But it's not going to save them because they're not doing it. Doing it, doing it. Hebrews 4 verse 12 says, Tell us, it tells us that God's word is alive and powerful. That's what Hebrews 4.12 tells us. God's word is living, it's active, it's powerful. My question is this. Is God's word alive and powerful in us? Selah, ponder, thought, process. In the book of James, it makes this comparison between having faith and showing faith. In James chapter 2, verses 14 to 26, it tells us of having a faith without doing something with it is called dead faith. You can have all the faith in the world, but if you do nothing with your faith, it's just dead faith. It's not going anywhere. What point is memorizing the Bible if it doesn't change the way we live? What good is having the Holy Spirit speak to us through preaching, but we do nothing with it? That's why I prepare these sermon notes. There's questions in there. There's homework. Why do you believe what you believe? Look at the questions there. This week, make it a study to go through one of those scriptures and and spend some time in there with the Holy Spirit saying, Holy Spirit, what do you want to say to me through this scripture? 
Change the way that I think. Help me to live a different life. Help me to mature and grow as a Christian. Help me to produce some seasoned fruit from my life. What we feed grows, what we starve dies. What are you feeding? What are we feeding? Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 to 27, out of the Passion Translation says this. Everyone who hears, everyone say hears. My teaching, everyone who hears my teaching and applies, everyone say applies, and applies it to his life can be compared to a wise person who built his house on an unshakable foundation. When the floods fell, uh, the rains fell and the flood came with the fierce winds beating upon his house, it stood firm because of its strong foundation. When we understand, when we hear what the Spirit of God is saying to us and we apply that to our lives, when temptation comes, we can stand firm saying, I'm not having any of that. Because my Bible says my, the Holy Spirit is going to empower me to stand strong in the face of temptation. When I want to do the wrong thing, because I'm standing firm on the power and the, 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 the presence of God in my life, I'm not going to give in to that. And it might not just be temptation. It might be just a a negative thought process that spirals down. No, that's not who I am. I'm more than a conqueror through Christ Jesus who strengthens me. I've got all the things that I need because he's got cattle on a thousand hills that like gold bricks everywhere. I mean, heaven itself is paved with gold bricks on the floor. He's got everything that I need. Greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. Start to speak the word of God over our lives. Living in fruitfulness every day, living a resurrection life is more than just hearing or knowing about God's word. It's living and applying God's word. It's doing what he says. Let me, like, if I fell overboard from a cruise ship and someone chucks me a life buoy and tells me to grab hold of it and that they'll pull me to safety, if I want to live, I've got to do more than just hear the instructions and know how to use the life buoy. I've got to grab a hold of it. And I've got to stay, it's like grip onto it. So that I can be rescued. If I want to live, then I've got to hang on to the life boy. That's how you use one. You hold on to it. Could it be that the process of progressive sanctification might be called growing up, maturing? Being seasoned. Could it be that we're actually talking about becoming a true disciple of Jesus Christ? Could it be that we are talking about becoming a passionate follower of Christ? Listen to what the Apostle John says again about producing much fruit. I am the sprouting vine and you are my branches. As you live in union with me. As your source, fruitfulness will stream from within you. But when you live separated from me, you are powerless. If you live separated from me, you'll be discarded like shriveled up branches that are gathered up and and thrown into the fire to be burned. But if you step into my life union uh, with me, If my words live powerfully within you, then you could ask whatever you desire and it will be done. When your lives bear abundant fruit, you demonstrate that you are my mature disciples who glorify my Father. 
How do we produce much fruit? By being seasoned. Okay? There's something wrong in both the natural world and the spiritual world when something or someone does not grow to produce fruit or develop in the way that it was designed. The Jordan River flows into the Dead Sea. It's called the Dead Sea because nothing can flow out of it or, and, and it therefore becomes stagnant and nothing survives in it. Nothing grows, nothing bears fruit, nothing lives in it. There's something wrong. When our savings don't grow in the bank, there's something wrong. A fruit tree that doesn't produce fruit isn't a fruit tree, it's a waste of space. There's something wrong. Jesus said it himself. If it's not producing fruit, all it's good for is to be cut off, stacked in a pile. You all right? No, I love you and care about you. Okay, cool. When Christians don't grow and become disciples of Jesus, they don't produce the fruits of their salvation. Could I suggest there's something wrong? The writer of Hebrews chapter 5 verses 11 to 14 says, and he tells us there's something wrong if a Christian doesn't grow. You see, these Christians should have been teaching other people by now. But instead, they're on S26, baby formula. In fact, they're not even mature enough to get the pureed broccoli disguised as apple. Every mum knows what I'm talking about right now. Kids, it's not apple, it's broccoli. It's cabbage. It's spinach. I'm saving your life right now. <laughs> Philippians 1.11 says, May you always be filled with the fruit of your salvation. The righteous character produced in your life by Jesus Christ. For this brings much glory and praise to God. See, only f- mature fruit trees can actually produce fruit. Seedlings can't handle it. It breaks their branches. They don't have the rootstock to be able to bring the nutrients up. God designed us to grow and mature as people, as children of God. Another way of saying this is that we become seasoned. To be seasoned is to ripen, to mature, or condition by exposure to suitable conditions or treatment. Joseph was exposed to some conditions that brought about his maturity as a person of God. He got these dreams. Everyone's going to bow down to him. He finds himself in a big hole in the ground. It's a part of the conditioning purposes of God. I mean, who'd have thought? This is my great dream. I'm in a pit. He gets out of the pit, gets sold into Potiphar's house, gets falsely accused of rape, chucked in jail, is in jail for a while, interprets some dreams of a, uh, I think it was a wine taster and a bread person, uh, otherwise known as a baker, just in case. <clears throat> I knew I was just testing. And he gets forgotten about these interpretations of dreams. Uh, Potiphar, sorry, not Potiphar, Pharaoh has this dream. And this guy says, well, actually, when I was in prison, I remember this person who could interpret dreams. Joseph gets taken before Pharaoh, interprets his dream, and all of a sudden he's promoted from the prison to the palace in a day. <laughs> what about the process of the years before? 
There was something happening. He was being seasoned, ready for the, the role that he needed to play to save his own people. Because his people in the time of a, a drought came to Egypt to actually get the seed and the, the, the produce and the, and the lay of the land to, to survive. And I love the maturity of Joseph. When he's finally talking to his brothers, he's saying, you meant this for evil, but God's going to bring good out of this. There's a seasoning of us as, as believers that God wants to take us on the process of being sanctified to being seasoned. Seasoned fruit brings forth an abundance of fruit. How is it that Jesus picks these, these guys who are fishing and, and a tax collector and, uh, and, and stuff like that? He takes them on this journey. He seasons these guys. He talks to them about parables and stories and he tells them how to respond. He shows them the way of, of life instead of the way of death. He shows them and exposes them to the power of God in their lives as he himself is led by the Spirit of God to go around doing good everywhere that he went. And he actually releases this same power to the disciples. He says, have a crack, see what you can do. I think God's got a great sense of humor. They come back from this stuff saying it's fantastic, but there's one village that, you know, they didn't re receive this, this message. Should we just call down fire on them? I think Bill Johnson says, you know, the amazing thing is that they knew that they could. And he says, hey, guys, that's, that's not how we do these things in this, this, this way. He's seasoning them. He's pruning them. The even greater thing is that then Jesus chooses 72 and he sends them out. I mean, after these guys are ready to call down fire. I'm not sure I'd trust that many like people doing that, but, then, you know, that's not me. That's cool. There's more to life than showing our age on the outside. We're also to call it to show our age on the inside too. We show our internal age through the fruit that we produce for the kingdom of God. See, to be seasoned is to heighten or improve the flavor of something by adding condiments, herbs and spices. Matthew 5 verse 13 says, you are the salt of the earth. You are salt of the earth. Did you know that? You're the salt of the earth. You are who God uses to bring the flavor of God into a circumstance. To make things taste better in life about God. We're called to bring the flavor of Christ into our world. Psalm 34 verse 8 says, taste and see that the Lord is good. Taste and see that the Lord is good. I, last night for tea, Jane and I made this cracker of a meal. I cooked the salmon. <sighs> yum, yum, bubble gum. <laughs> Jane did this absolutely divine cauliflower cheese with salad. And because I still had it left over from lunch, there was a little bit of cabana. <laughs> you can't have a salad without cabana. Everyone knows that, don't you? Come on. Come on, you lot. It tasted really good. I've got to tell you, Jesus tastes better. He tastes so much better. Is our life helping others to taste and see that God is good? See, to be seasoned is to, to dry or otherwise treat timber so as to harden and render immune to shrinkage and warpage. Now, we're no longer double-minded in our faith, bouncing from being of God or being of the world. 
We, we know whose we are and we're following hard after him, his word, by his spirit, of his ways, doing his work. Hebrews chapter 10 verse 39 says, we're not quitters who lose out. Oh no, well, we'll stay with it and survive trusting all the way. We're not going to give up on this walk. When things get tough, we're going to dig into God. Do we get bent out of shape when we're hurt, offended or betrayed? The seasoned way is to resist being bent or getting bent or out of shape or warped. I've got to tell you, you know, like 25 years as a copper, I could have a very jaded, and sometimes still do, have a very jaded view of the world. I I was exposed to, to, to the negativity of the world. Everyone's doing everyone. We were only called when something went wrong. And I can tell you right now, whenever you needed a cop, you never found one. But when you were speeding, we leapt out of your boot. (laughs) We were wrong when we were right. We had some good fun too. I I could tell you some stories now, but I won't. To be seasoned is to adapt or harden like troops seasoned by battle. We've weathered some storms. We've matured and there's clearly visible fruit that's been produced from our lives. What I'm not talking about here is being hardened to God or to people. I believe that we need to remain soft and pliable and loving and kind and forgiving to people and and towards God himself. What I'm talking about is that we have hardened our resolve and determination to stand in the face of the enemy and to not give up the ground that we're standing on. This is my ground. This is the ground that God has given to me. This is my family and I'm not going to have this happen in my family. I'm standing against the enemy of my life. I'm not going to give up. My, my, I've hardened my resolve. My face is set like flint towards the enemy and you're not getting this ground. I'm going to stand the ground. I'm going to draw my sword. I've got my shield of faith. I've got my belt of truth in place. I've got the helmet of salvation. I've got my Nikes on. I'm happening. You aren't getting this ground. You're not getting my family. You're not getting my finances. I'm hardening my resolve. I'm standing on the ground that God has given to me. Where's that kind of tenacity for the Christian who's producing seasoned fruit? Do we give up and we start to, to, to blubber on the ground like, you know, we're just you know, like a smudge on the carpet or something like that? No, we need to stand up. We need to realize who God, God has made me to be. I'm a soldier. I'm a king. You know, I'm a, I'm a priest. I'm a, I'm a prophet in my own home. We've determined to see breakthrough happen. We've hardened our determination to to do whatever's necessary to grow, to mature, to produce fruit and much fruit through and in our lives. In 2 Samuel 23 verses 8 to 17, we see the story of David's mighty men. These men had determination. They'd hardened themselves through the process of battle. You read about it in, in 1 Samuel chapter 22, I think it is, where you see all of the discontent, all of the... Let's turn there. This is a freebie, just a... And not in your notes. 1 Samuel 22. I'm sure it is. Here it is. Cave of Adullam. 
So David left Gath and escaped to the cave of Adullam. Soon his brothers and all his other relatives joined him there. Then others began coming, men who were in trouble or in debt or who were discontented until David was the captain of over 400 men. What happened? This is how they started out. They're discontent. They're cheesed off. They're defeated. They're negative. They're, they're hiding in a cave. What happened to them? In 2 Samuel 23, in the process of a book, and a few chapters, something's happened to these men. Suddenly these men, Jashabim, he's one of David's mighty men. He killed 800 enemy warriors in a single battle. 800. I can't even do that on the PS4. Him. Eliezer stood with David. Everyone else is gone. Just this bloke and David, they're standing there and they killed the enemy until this guy was too tired to lift up his sword anymore. He's just like, there, that's, I can't do this. You got to go away. Go away in Jesus' name. Yet, how many of us sometimes during the middle of the week can't even find our sword? Shema. I don't know about you. This is this is all for you people that need prayer. You vegans. <laughs> He's protecting a field of lentils. I mean, can anything good come out of lentils? Lentil soup. Yum. Mmm. <laughs> Yeah, lentil salad with some salmon and some cabana. Now we're to- hey, oh. coming to see Rachel to get my, my lentils and so I'm going to have some cabana and some. When was the last time we stood knowing that we were all that stood between the enemy and our family, between the enemy and us? And our provision. And we said, you are not getting past me. You are not getting past me. Ephesians 6 verses 11 to 18 says to stand firm in the fight. To put on God's armor and to stand our ground. And when having done all else, to stand firm. This is why you need your brothers and your sisters. Could I borrow... John and Gina, please. <laughs> they just say no return. <laughs> <laughs> can I get you guys to go back to back, please? <clears throat> now, so if I can just get you to just turn that way there, okay? This is why we need our brothers and sisters. See? I know that my back is safe because I've got my brothers and my sisters around me who are covering me from behind. Hey, Jill, I turn, I turn, Gina, but isn't, isn't that, absolutely, but isn't that why we need our brothers and our sisters? The people around about us have got our backs. And this is why we need wisdom in who we choose to be our prayer partners. This is why we need to wisdom about the people, you know, and what we, we reveal to people. But we do need people. 
Stand your ground as you fight for your families and friends in prayer. Stand your ground as you fulfill your part in the body of Christ. Stand your ground as you are attacked by the enemies of your soul. In 1 Corinthians 16, 13, it says, be on guard. Be on guard. Stand firm in the faith. I love Stand firm in the faith. Faith of what? Faith in Jesus. In his victory over everything that we're looking at and seeing come against us. Stand firm. Stand firm. Be, be courageous. Be strong. Galatians 2.20. My old self has been crucified with Christ and it's no longer I who lives, but Christ who lives in me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. We will grow and mature and produce the abundance of fruit that God does, desires in direct proportion to our revelation of how much God loves us. The more that you know that God loves you, the more that you're going to grow and mature as a believer. Because you know he's got your back, he's with you, he's there with you. Jesus is the vine and the Father is the gardener. We couldn't be in any better love or care. What we're doing, what are we doing to cooperate with the Holy Spirit to grow, to mature and to become seasoned fruit? And I started the service with this passage. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 58. So now, beloved ones, as you stand firm and secure, live your lives with an unshakable confidence. We know that we prosper and excel in every season by serving the Lord because we are assured that our union with the Lord makes our labor productive with fruit that endures. Everyone say endures. See, our union with Christ, His Word living in us, His Spirit empowering us as we do what He says makes our resurrection lives productive with fruit that endures. The resurrection life is a life that produces sanctified and seasoned fruit in our lives. There's a process that needs to go on. But that's not the end of it. Life is not all about us. There's another stage in the process. Living in fruitfulness every day and producing significant fruit. And that is the fruit that lives in someone else. And that's next time. And they're saying, praise God, it's next time. Got enough for today. Can we stand? I want to pray for some people today. I, I, I believe that God wants to, to help people to see things in a new way. Sometimes it's just got to do with perspective. Sometimes it's just got to do with the way that we are looking at something. You think all this stuff's happened to you. To bring you to your knees and to cripple you and to make life hard and to make you give up. No. We can make these things actually produce fruit in our lives by saying to God, though the enemy come against me, I love this version, my version, comma, 
yet like a flood, God comes through. The enemy might make it look like it's a flood. He might make it look like it's, everything's coming against you and it's all falling apart. God is wanting to do something powerful and very, very great in your life. And sometimes he needs to undo some stuff before he can redo some stuff. He's wanting to bring about a maturity, a seasoning to our lives. He's wanting to make sure that the foundation of our lives is Christ and nothing else. And as we build, as we build, as we construct parts of our lives, God is going to help us in that process, empowered by the Spirit, based upon His Word. And the things that are happening to you shouldn't cause the questions of, God, why are you doing this to me? should be simply saying, God, help me to see what you want to bring out of my life because of this. Instead of running from God in these times, we need to run to Him. To open up our arms. And like sometimes it happens with our grandchildren. They take a running, flying leap into your arms. And they yell out, Grand, they yell out Nana and Granddad. They give you the biggest hug. We should be like that with God the Father. John, I mean, with communion, talking about the free access that we have to the Father. We have this ability. Yet we think that we can't use that because I've done something wrong. Like he doesn't know. He says that even while we were still yet sinners, Christ came and died for us. I pray you see a new perspective on things that are going on in your world today. God is, is trying to shape our lives and wanting to produce from our lives a fruit that is seasoned. Who knows that? The fruit that you get from a seasoned tree is so much more juicy and rich and full than from a tree that's not been seasoned. The strawberries on our strawberry plants are juicy and sweet because they're seasoned. And this is what God wants to do with our lives. He wants to bring about a fruit that lasts. This is his ultimate goal. A fruit that lasts. Eternity. So this morning, I, I feel like I, I want to pray for people. You're doing it tough. It's been a hard season. Season. Maybe you haven't thought about it from looking at it from a different point of view. But this morning, you're saying, God, I want to see things from your point of view. What are you wanting to shape in me? What fruit are you wanting to bring out of my life? I surrender my ways to your ways. I put off and I put on. Ryan, is it Ryan? 
Ryan, God's got his hand on your life. Yet the best is yet to come. You, you, God is just going to do some things. Open up your family, man. But you're going to come up against some fights too. And I just encourage you. I just see you with the sword of the Spirit in your right hand. Cling to the word, my friend. That was a good word, by the way. It's not like a horrible word. It's, it's a good word. If you want prayer this morning, I'm just going to open up the front as the team maybe sing a song or do what the team does. If you'd like prayer this morning, I want to pray with you. I believe that God is here to, to bring breakthrough, to change mindsets, to change the ways that we see things. Maybe it's a time of just sweet surrender. Maybe it's a time where we say, God, I'm going to stop fighting you in this season. And I'm going to cooperate with you. You ever seen a, a gnarly carrot? Like, you know, it, carrots should be tapered and beautiful and symmetrical. And you ever seen a gnarly one comes out? It's got like two, two root bits down the bottom. It came up against an obstacle in the ground that didn't want to move, so the carrot had to build around it. Don't be a gnarly carrot. Don't be a gnarly carrot. I mean, that could be a good you know, like title for the sermon, couldn't it? You know, uh, listen to Gary's message, the gnarly carrot. Don't listen to the gnarly carrot. Don't be a gnarly If you want prayer this morning, I just encourage you to come. I want to pray with you. Pray for a new revelation of God's love. Maybe the strength to go through what you're going through. Maybe the, the, the capacity to ask the question, Lord, what do you want me to see? What are you trying to do in my life? How do you, how do you want me to, to, to live my life as a result of what you're showing me in this season? Maybe it's uh, that uh, you need to throw off the old and to put on the new. And you need strength and boldness to, to make that stand. You know how you're wired. So does God. And he wants to put people around about you. They're going to build you, encourage you, and, and get around you and, 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 and have got your back. Maybe you want God's word to live powerfully in you and boldness to step out in a faith that changes lives. Maybe that's what you need. If you want prayer, come. If not, just let Haley do that, what she does. Thank you.